Namaste and peace be to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The text is the Gospel lesson from Luke chapter 1. Dr. Jerry Schmallenberger, former president of Pacific Lutheran Seminary, tells a story about a Christmas program that went off the rails. The story concerned a pastor, Paul Dalrymple, who had a great scheme to illustrate baby Jesus coming down from heaven. Pastor Dalrymple asked Elder Fred to help, and in preparation, he carefully rigged a baby doll to an invisible fishing line, stringing it through hooks in the ceiling and across to Elder Fred's fishing pole in the wings. This baby doll was to be, of course, the baby Jesus. And as his sermon progressed, Pastor Dalrymple would come to the words, and Jesus came down from heaven that night into the manger of Bethlehem. And Elder Fred was to take the cue to lower the baby Jesus into the manger, waiting down on the floor below. The cue came, and the floating baby hovered over the manger, lowering precariously and swinging ever so slightly, but a good four or five feet too high. The descent came to a halt, and baby Jesus hung suspended for ever so long above the manger. Pastor Dalrymple repeated the cue, hoping Elder Fred would let out more line. Didn't work. What the good pastor could not know was that Elder Fred had come to the end of his line, and so there baby Jesus hung, floating above the manger, which was where, of course, he was supposed to end up. Finally, realizing what had happened, Pastor Dalrymple decided to take matters into his own hands. He walked over, grabbed baby Jesus, dangling there in the air, and pulled him down. Naturally, he pulled Elder Fred out of the wings as well, fishing pole still in hand. Embarrassed beyond belief, Elder Fred rushed back out of sight only to yank baby Jesus back up to heaven with him. Now, there is, of course, no flying baby in the original Christmas story. However, there is a leaping one. After the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to tell her that she would bear a son, Mary, excited and scared, I suppose, goes to visit her older cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Elizabeth was married to Zacharias, the priest. They had had no children until the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah, just as he would come to Mary to announce that Elizabeth would bear a son who was to be named John. John would be a prophet like Elijah, said Gabriel, and would fulfill Malachi's prophecy that a special messenger would come to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We know that Elizabeth and Zachariah's son, of course, was John the Baptist. The text today, however, contains 
an interesting thing which happened when Mary entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. No flying baby, but when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. For why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord said to her will be accomplished. The baby leaped. Not as dramatic, perhaps, as the baby flew, but certainly more instructive. First of all, we see here the wonder and the awe of Christmas. An item appeared in Christianity Today by John C. entitled Sharon's Christmas Prayer. She was five, sure of the facts, and recited them with slow solemnity, convinced every word was revelation. She said, quote, they were so poor they had only peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat. And they went a long way from home without getting lost. The lady rode a donkey, the man walked, and the baby was inside the lady. They had to stay in a stable with an ox and an ass, he, he, he. But the three rich men found them because a star lighted the roof. Shepherds came and you could pet the sheep but not feed them. Then the baby was born, and do you know who he was? Her quarter eyes inflated to silver dollars. The baby was God. And she jumped in the air, whirled around, dove into the sofa, and buried her head under the cushion, which is the only proper response to the good news of the Incarnation. We cannot wrap our feeble minds around the mystery of how God could become one of us, and still less can our miserable hearts understand the magnitude of the love that would make him want to do it. The mark of that love is that it lowers itself, not to four or five feet above the manger on a wire, but all the way to be here with us. The most elementary love, I suppose, is that of a mother for her child. How many hours has any mother spent cleaning up poop and vomit? Fathers, too. It is humiliating, of course, but we do it scarcely with thinking about it because real love realizes it's not us that matters, but the object of our care and love. And when we see God acting this way, it is astounding. He who has billions of angels, it seems, doesn't send one of them to clean up the mess we humans have made. They couldn't. In justice, only man can make right what man made wrong, and only God would be able to pull it off. His death would destroy death, and its value would pay the infinite price owed for our sin against the infinite God. 
The incomprehensible part of it is why God would endure pain raised to the infinite, divine decree for us who have deserted him, abandoned his ways, and done it over and over again. Who can truly comprehend it? What we cannot comprehend, we often mock ever so gently. A cartoon in the New Yorker magazine a number of years back showed God sitting majestically on a heavenly throne, and the planet Earth is visible in the distance, and the Almighty is looking at the Earth and says, don't make me have to come down there. As if it were a threat that motivated him, rather than what it really was, love. But coming down here is exactly what God did to save us. The God of all creation came into our world, and no wonder the baby John leaped. Even in the womb, John, the one whose coming would pave the way for the Messiah, was aware that he was in the presence of the Eternal One. Secondly, we see the response fitting to such awesome love. First in Elizabeth's remarks, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Praise flowing from and leading to humility. And then again, in the part we didn't read, Mary's song, the Magnificat, God will put down the mighty from their thrones and exalt the lowly in heart, just as he has graciously visited his handmaiden. But if Mary or Elizabeth or Zechariah had expected this to be done by a mighty, victorious prince at the head of God's heavenly armies, their all was to be still further challenged, and they would get an even greater surprise. A baby would disarm them all. This is how the Creator planned it. A baby cries, and everyone in the household, isn't this true if you've had little kids around? When a baby cries, everyone in the household drops whatever they're doing and tries to fix what is wrong. I'm sure it doesn't even matter if the household is Buckingham Palace. The Creator did not make anyone great <clears throat> so that they could boast about their greatness. The Creator makes you great or strong or wise or adult so that we can help others who are not as strong or wise or adult as we are. The most amazing claim that Christians make is that God came into this world in the form of a tiny baby. It is also the most appealing claim that Christians make. God could have overwhelmed us with his power and majesty and condemned us all, rebels that we are. Instead, God came to earth in a helpless child, already humiliated by the mere act of becoming a human. He was God, after all. But an active baby who, out of his great love, was destined to die for us when he didn't have to. No one would make up such a claim. It's too ridiculous from a human point of view, too fantastic. And yet it is true. 
because that's how God is and God thinks. The truth of it is what made his cousin John leap for joy in his mother's womb. And the truth of it is what makes the whole church sing with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. And the truth of it is what makes us grateful for his mercy on those who fear him. And the truth of it is that God has helped his people remembering his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Amen. May the peace of God which passes understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.